we've been in a series this summer called The Walk, and last Sunday what we saw was kind of the first step in the walk. The first step is to abide, to remain in Christ, and what does it mean to, to, to be in Him and with Him and through Him all of the time. And today we're going to talk about step two. Step two involves God's Word and living inside and according to God's Word. And so let me invite you to go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word today. Psalm 19 is where we'll be, is in Psalm 19. And if you don't have uh, a paper copy of the Word, you can use your phone or your device. There's also going to be scripture on the screen that you can read. But this book is really important for us as believers, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, Also, along this idea of the walk is the idea that, that you are where you are today because of choices that you made yesterday. Think about that for just a minute. The choices that you made in your past, in your history, that's, that's what brought you to where you are today. And where you're going tomorrow is going to be determined by choices and decisions that you made today. It really means that you're one step away from tragedy or you're one step away from the life that God really desires for you on a regular basis. And so it's the reason why this walk is so important. Step one, if we want to grow closer to our Heavenly Father, is to abide in Him. And step two is to understand this book and to understand this word. And we're going to talk about that. That's going to be the focus of what we talk about today. And as we do that, I just want to ask you some questions. Um, have you all ever received a letter or you've ever received a document that was just really meaningful to you that maybe shaped or, or changed the, the direction or the course of your life? Have you ever received a letter like that? We're kind of in, uh, in college mode around our house because my oldest daughter is about to begin her senior year and she's, a, she's submitted her first application for a college and she's not exactly certain where she's going yet, so she's going to submit several applications, and someday this letter is going to show up in the mail, and when it shows up, it's going to say, you've been accepted to this school or that school or possibly no school at all. No, she'll get accepted. It'll be okay. Um, I'm just a nervous dad, right? Um, and, and I tell her, when it comes to college, God's everywhere. Go where the money is. And so wherever the scholarship letter shows up and says, you know, this is, it's the kind of thing that, that, that's a letter that, that really changes the way you think or changes your life. I know that when I was a little kid in school, maybe you've experienced this, we'd pass these little notes to each other, you know, in school. I don't know if you ever got a note or if you passed a note that said, I like you, do you like me? Please check this box. <laughs> Did you ever get a note like that? Uh, that so influenced my life that on the night that I proposed to Londa, we were in Woodward Park. It was two days before Christmas, and I gave her a present. And the present was a little Precious Moments figurine um, on December 23rd. And it looked like this. This is what it looked like. Um, it didn't look like that. It looked like something else. Um, yeah, it's coming. There it is. Yeah, it's a little, little Precious Moments figurine. I like you. Do you like me? Will you marry me? Please check this box. And I'm so excited she checked the yes box. See that? You can see that on there. She said yes. Some documents, some things, some words on paper. It's an amazing thing, the power that words have on paper to influence and to affect our lives. And even this, this last Thursday, it was Independence Day, July 4th. What we're celebrating on the Independence Day, on July 4th, what we're celebrating is actually the signing of a letter that we call the Declaration of Independence. And those men, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that everyone's created evil, equal. And at the end of that, it says, at the end of that, to this defense, we're going to pledge our lives our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And they signed the letter, and they put it in the mail and sent it to the King of England. And not, not a few months later, not a few days later, they were asked to sign that letter again. Only this time they had to sign it in the red of their own blood and the blood of their sons and daughters. 
Sometimes words on a page matter a lot, don't they? Sometimes they make a difference in our lives. And for us as believers, this book is the story. This, this book, this is God's word. And this is the divine story of God's relentless affection for you. That's what we see as believers in this book. That God's word is the divine story of his relentless affection for you. And so I hope that you'll take this book seriously. I hope you'll take time to read it, to investigate it, to study it, to memorize it, to practice it, and, and that you'll do that because of your belief in it, because this is the story, God's word. It is the divine story of God's relentless affection for you. Now, as I say that, I know that there are some of us who are here in the room today that maybe you came because you were invited by a friend or you came as a favor to a family member and you're like, yeah, I don't think I really believe that book. I'm not going to read it because I don't believe it. Um, I don't know if I'm down for this church thing. I'm just showing up to make my mom happy or I'm just showing up to make my friend happy or to fulfill an obligation that I have. And I'm just glad that you're here. Thanks so much for coming. But let me just kind of address you for just a moment in relationship to this book. And, and even maybe that underlying thought that I don't read it because I don't believe it. I don't believe what it says, and so I'm not going to read what it says. Well, let me just ask you, just real bluntly, when was the last time you read anything because you believed it? <laughs> when was it? You know, I, I follow... I follow a lot of things on the internet. I, I follow things on the internet. You know, internet, source of all knowledge, right? I follow so many things. I even, I follow now on Twitter. I don't know if you know this or not. You can follow Abraham Lincoln on Twitter. And, uh, and I found that picture on the internet. I'm confident that everything you read on the internet is true. And Abraham Lincoln is the one who, that's his quote. Yeah, when was the last time you read something simply because you believed it? Here, let me challenge you. If you don't believe the Bible is true, if you don't believe this book is true, I want to challenge you to read it anyway. And I want, you to challenge, I want to challenge you, maybe follow it like you follow people in social media. In social media, I follow Donald Trump and Barack Obama. I follow CNN and I follow Fox. I follow entertainment news and I follow sports news. And this whole weekend, I guess the Thunders team has just been devastated because they're moving so many players around. And there's all, everybody's got an opinion about that. So I'm following entertainment news and I'm following sports news. And the reason I follow it is not because I believe everything I read or everything I see in, in that space. I follow it because their words influence my world. And, and I don't know if you understand how deeply this book, even if you don't believe it, I don't know if you understand how deeply this book influences the world that you live in. This book has shaped nations. This book has changed cultures. This book has caused people to take a total turnaround in their lives. This book has caused people who are addicts to not be addicts anymore. The information contained, the God that's revealed in this book has caused people who are dirty, rotten scoundrels, murderers, and, and evil people to be able to turn their lives around, not because they were able to do it, but because this book reveals the one who is capable of doing something miraculous in your life. And for those of you who don't really believe that it's true, let me tell you the number one reason you ought to believe it. Everyone in this room today, including the people who invited you here, the reason why they invited you here is because they believe this book is true. And this book has had an influence on their life. So if you want to understand your country better, 
if you want to understand this culture better, if you want to understand the friend or the family member who brought you today, let me challenge you to follow him, follow Jesus, follow God by reading this book, just like you would anything else on the internet, because what you're going to find is that this book is an incredible influence in the lives of all the people who are sitting around you today. And it's, it's influenced them because while you may not believe it, they do. While you may not believe it, I'll tell you this, I do. I've investigated this book. I've searched this book. I've studied it. I compared it to other books. I have friends who are incredible theologians, friends who are incredible scholars who have investigated this book, and they have found time and time and time again that this book is reliable, that this book is something that can be understood, that this book is influential, that this book is relevant to your life and to mine. Why? Because God's Word is the divine story of God's relentless affection for you. So if you're not a believer in this book, let me, let me challenge you. Read it anyway. Read it anyway and see what God does. But if you are a believer in this book, I'm going to ask you one more thing. As a believer, those of you who, who, are, who claim to be Christians, those of you who claim faith in Christ, I'm going to say you should follow him. You should follow this, but more deeply than you would something on social media, you should come to a place where you understand this book where you understand it and you practice the principles that, that, that are in it. You need to understand this and practice the principles that are in it. It's not enough for you to have kind of a hit and miss, throw in the darts, understanding of the Bible. I had a friend once who says, I'm going to live whatever the Bible tells me today. And so just at random, he goes, he opens it up and he opens to the book of Genesis and it says, uh, and Noah took a wife. So he just kind of threw, like throwing a dart. He just opened it up and threw his finger in there and Noah took a wife and he turned the page and he, pushed down again and she was 60 cubits by 30 cubits by 90 cubits and then he turned the page again and pushed it down he said, go ye and do likewise I'm thinking that's not the best way to understand to read and to and to catch what the meaning of this book says if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this book is the foundation for what you know about who Christ is and what it is that Christ has done for you. So you need to follow this a bit more deeply than you do things on social media. You ought to read it. You ought to investigate it. You ought to understand it. You ought to memorize it. You ought to practice it systematically. You ought to look at it and see what God has to say to you because we believe this book is true and it is the divine story of God's relentless affection for you. See, that's the reason why. That's the reason why when we come to this place, we stand when we read the Word of God. We're honoring the fact that this isn't some person's revelation of himself to us. This is God's revelation of himself to us. These are God's words and not mine. So with that in mind, let's read Psalm 19 together, and let me invite you to stand with me as we do. At the end of this, I'll say, at the end of reading this, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'd like to invite you to say, praise be to God, and it's just in recognition of the fact that this book is the word of God. So Psalm 19, we'll read the entire chapter. Here's what it says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge there's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. This book is the divine, the divine uh, story of God's relentless affection for you. And as we say that, there's actually an older phrase that we often use to describe what we mean about, about what we believe about Scripture. We believe it's a, phrase that it's, a, it's, a, it's a phrase that's in a foreign language. It's sola scriptura. It means Scripture alone. And it's, it's really simple what that means. It means that, that the Bible is the sole authority of God's re- revelation of himself. What may be known of God can be found in his scriptures. The Bible contains all the truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life. 2 Peter 1.3 says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And for a believer, the idea of sola scriptura is that this book is the sole authority on who God is and how he interacts with his people. This book is amazing because it doesn't simply reveal who God is, it also reveals who humanity is. It shows, it shows examples of our most noble efforts and our greatest hypocrisies. It shows our greatest problems and our greatest victories, and it shows us exactly how God has stepped into our world to relate to us. Now, it doesn't mean that this is the only way God reveals himself. Certainly, sola scriptura God, in his sovereignty, he can reveal himself to his creation in any way he chooses. He absolutely can do that. But what sola scriptura means is that he'll never reveal himself in a way that contradicts what this book says. So if you hear somebody out there saying, well, I've had a vision from God, and here's what God told me. God told me I should do this, that, and the other. But what God's saying to them is contradictory to what you see in Scripture. You can know for certain that they've not received a revelation from God. It's actually one of the problems with those religions that claim to have a second book, like a book of Mormon, or a second book like the Quran, or another book besides the Bible. The Bible says in and of itself, it is complete, and it is sola scriptura. It is the sole authority on God's revelation of himself. And even in Psalm 19, look at verse 1, very one, very, very clearly in verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You absolutely, in creation itself, you can look out and you can see the glory of God in creation. In in the birth of a newborn baby, in the changing of the seasons, in the power of the storms, you can see the glory of God in all of those things. And so God absolutely has the authority and the ability and in his sovereignty to reveal himself however he chooses. But when God reveals himself, he'll never, ever do it in a way that contradicts his word. He's done that so that we can have a standard that helps us understand clearly this is when God has spoken. This is how God has spoken. Have you ever ever tried to build something 
Maybe it's a, for me and my kids, it's Legos. I love Legos. Have you ever tried to build what's on the cover of the box without, without instructions? Have you ever tried to do that? I know men, we don't ever use instructions, right? We just, we know how to do things. We're men. We nail things together and it works. Duct tape, it solves every problem. You know, we, we do that. But I, I, can take, I can take a model, I can take a, a, a set of Legos, and I can build amazing things with them. But without the instructions, I'll never build the picture that's on the box. And if I have the wrong instructions, I'll still never build the picture that's on the box. If you want to build your life according to the picture that God has designed for you, the God who loves you with an everlasting love, then we need to build our lives according to the instructions we find in this book. We need to recognize that this word is true, that it's reliable, and it's something that as believers, we need to know it. And as people who aren't believers, you probably ought to know it because it's influencing people you care about and the nation in which you live. That's actually one of the things that Bible does. The Bible reveals the very nature of God. It's one of the most important things it does. The Bible reveals the nature of God. It tells us that God is Trinity. It tells us that there's, that there's one God who expresses himself in three unique persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as Trinity... God the Father defines the law. That's actually, if you look at uh, verses 7 and 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You see, God the Father was the one who defined the law. And then you get into the New Testament and you find that Jesus, God the Son, is the one who delivers grace. So this book reveals the nature of God, that he's Trinity, and God the Father defines the law, and God the Son, Jesus, he delivers grace. And then then you find throughout Scripture, you see God as the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit declares the glory of God. Well, how does he do that? He declares the glory of God by convicting the world, by convicting me and you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He's the one who's in this space today speaking through God's word, to help persuade you of the temptation that keeps tripping you up, to help you understand the sin that keeps knocking you down, to help you see the righteousness that's found in God. That's actually another truth about who God is that this book reveals, that not only is God Trinity, but God is holy. It means he's set apart because of righteousness. He's as perfect as perfect can possibly be. He is so perfect that there is no standard outside himself by which he can be judged. It means in his sovereignty, God can do what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. And everything God does is right because there is no one who can possibly stand in judgment over him. God is the standard And there is no standard that can possibly judge him. God is holy. God is trinity. God is sovereign. But God is also just. God is just. That means in this world where there is all kinds of injustice, and I'm sure you've experienced, where there are men and women who are doing evil things and terrible things to one another, saying terrible things about one another, abusing one another, uh, living in hypocrisy, saying they want to do one thing, but doing actually something else. In this world, God says, I demand justice. My justice will be satisfied. This book reveals that about who God is. The other thing that this book does is the Bible identifies the reason for your pain. So not only does it reveal the nature of God, that he's sovereign, that he's trinity, that he's holy, that he's just, 
but it also it identifies the reason for your pain. And even if you don't believe this book is true, this is one of those things where you and I in the Bible, we're all going to agree. The reason for the pain in your life, the Bible uses the word sin to describe that. We've all made mistakes. Sometimes they're deliberate. Sometimes they're accidental. And our mistakes have hurt our own lives. We've made choices. We take, we've taken a step. And we took a step deliberately in the wrong direction. We knew it was the wrong direction when we did it, and we did it anyway. Mom and dad said don't do it, but we did it anyway. God said don't do it, but we did it anyway. All of our teachers, all of the wise counsel, all of our friends said don't do it, but guess what? We did it anyway. And now we're living with the consequences of that action, the consequences of our sin. And the pain that you're experiencing is self-inflicted because you made that choice. You, you know that's true because you've experienced it. You also know it's true because sometimes it's not about the choices you've made. Sometimes you're suffering the consequences of the sinful choice someone else has made. Your dad was an alcoholic. He made a choice. And you're suffering the consequences. The sin in his life is hurting yours. Your mom and dad broke up. They split up. Maybe you don't even know your mom. And you're suffering the consequences. You've been hurt by the sin of others. You know that's true whether you believe this book or not. But it is. It's true. It reveals the nature of man. We're sinful people. And you know what? We can't seem to find our way out. You've experienced this before, right? That with the best of intentions, you make the worst of choices. You've seen that before. Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe you've, you've been dating someone and you broke up with that someone because they were hurting you and the relationship was bad for you and you get into a brand new relationship only to discover that all of the problems you had in the first relationship are exactly the same as the problem you have in this new relationship, only this time it seems like they're amplified. Why is that? Well, it's because we're sinful people and it is that sin in our life that brings the pain that we experience. But the pain is deeper than that. The pain is deeper than that because that sin in our life separates us from God. Any presence that God might have in our life, because He's a holy God, sin can't survive in the presence of God. And in His mercy for us, He's removed His presence from us so that His justice doesn't immediately strike out and kill us for the sin that's in us. And so our sin has separated us from God. And that's exactly what Scripture reveals. Romans chapter 3. It tells us that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans goes on to tell us, in the, in the book of Romans, in the New Testament, it goes on to tell us that the wages of our sin is death. Well, you know what? You may not be dead today, but isn't there a day that comes for us all? Isn't death the thing that comes for us all? At some point, we'll face that moment where our, our life here will end. And that's a direct result of our rebellion against God. That's a direct result of the sin in our life and the temptation that we've given into. You see, this book gets that right. It tells us about the nature of God, that He's holy and that He's just. And it, and it identifies the problem of your pain. It, it identifies the reason for your pain, and it's the sin that's in your life that's constantly tripping you up. I said a minute ago that you are where you are today because of the choices that you made yesterday? Are you where you want to be? Or are you someplace painful? Are you where you need to be? Or, or are you following something that's only going to end in destruction? John chapter 10 says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
And then Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Have the choices you've made led you to a place where it feels like your life has been stolen, where it feels like your life is being destroyed? You see, today there's choices that can be made that would lead you a totally different path, that would take you a completely different direction. That's what this book shows us. That the Bible reveals the nature of God and it identifies the reason for our pain. But it also does one last thing. Look at Psalm 19, verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. That one phrase in verse 12 I think is fascinating. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. You know, I find this inside myself, that with the best of intentions, I make the worst of choices. It happens all the time. And so I find that it seems like there's this law that's within me that may mean that I, it, it means that I may not be as bad as I can possibly be. It may not mean that I'm as bad as some of the people around me, but for some reason, I keep giving in to my sinful desires. I keep giving in to the wrong things that hurt me and hurt the people around me. I keep rebelling against God. And as, as I keep doing that, my, my relationship with God gets even more distant and even more distant and even more distant. And I find that the solution to my problem isn't quite as simple as taking a step in the right direction. Because when I take that step on my own, when I take that step in my power, what I discover is my step always leads me to the same devastating place because I'm all alone, because I'm not wise, I'm foolish, because I'm not strong, I'm weak. And in those moments when I'm not on a platform and when I'm not with my friends and when people aren't looking at me, in those moments in the behind-the-scenes footage of my life, you, you know what you see on Facebook of me, it may look awesome, but in the behind-the-scenes footage of my life, in the, in the quiet, in the dark, on my own, I'm, I'm abundantly aware of just how sinful I am and just how many terrible choices I've made. And it seems like on my own, if I take another step, it's just going to lead me right back around in a circle, back from one bad decision to another. And sometimes the effect of that bad decision will be huge, and sometimes the effect of that bad decision will be small. But as long as I am on my own taking those steps, as long as that is true, I will constantly end up back in exactly the same sinful problem and pain over and over and over again. The Bible reveals the nature of God and it identifies the, the reason for your pain and mine. But it does something else that's just glorious. The Bible demonstrates God's path for your salvation. The Bible demonstrates God's path for your salvation. That is Psalm 19, verse 12. It's that remarkable phrase that's right there, the second phrase. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. You see, 
according to Scripture, there's only one way for us to overcome our sin. It's not from developing new habits because our new habits just take us into the same space. The only way, the path for our salvation, the only way is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and for him to declare us innocent from our sins, for him to make that declaration that you who were once sinful, you are now righteous and the reason for your righteousness isn't because of a choice you made, it's because of something I did for you. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God, they come together on the cross. And God makes a sacrifice of himself to himself to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And Jesus Christ, who was human, just like us, who was tempted in every way, just like us, every step he took in his walk was a step in the right direction. And every step he took was a step that drew him closer to God. Every, actually, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, everything I say is just the stuff I've heard my father say, and everything I do are just the things I've seen my father done. And so he takes another step. And with each step, it draws him closer to this moment where he willfully chooses to become the sacrifice for your sin and for mine. You see, that's what that verse in Romans means, that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve because of the rebellion we've experienced with God, because of the, because of the ways we've said no to him, because of the temptation that we've given into. But the end of that verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this book demonstrates the path for your salvation. And so as a result of it, we can know for certain, we can know for certain that we have a right relationship with God. We can know for certain that the next breath that we take can be a breath of surrender, and the next step that we take can be a step of obedience. And so here's my challenge to you today. It's really simple. Do you know this book well enough to live by it? Do you know what's written in this book? Do you have enough confidence that you have enough knowledge and understanding of this book that your next breath can be a breath of surrender, that your next step can be a step of obedience? Why, as a believer, why, as a believer, would you want to take another step and make another decision without understanding the principles and the practices and the precepts of this book. Why would you want to do that? You've seen where your life goes without the influence of God. And now, as a believer, if you'll read it, if you'll investigate it, if you'll memorize it, if you'll put it into practice, then your next step can be a step just like Christ's. It can be a step in the right direction that draws you closer to God. So as believers, that's my challenge to you today. Is there a moment in your day, on a daily basis, when you spend unhurried time with God, just getting to know what he has to say in his word, just coming to understand this love letter that he's written to you? Is there a moment when you do that? Why not? This is the only book you can read and have the author present every time you read it. God himself can be present as you read this book. Read it on a daily basis. Don't make it simply a discipline that you do so that you can check some kind of spiritual box on your spiritual to-do list. Yep, read the Bible today, opened it up in my, in my app. Systematically, if, if you don't know where to start, start in the book of John, but find a way to get in God's word daily because this is the book that will show you the pathway of salvation. 
You see, that's the challenge to believers. But to those of you who aren't believers, I can tell you with certainty that book is true. God is holy. God is just. And remember I said at the beginning that this is the divine story of God's relentless affection for you. What does that mean? It means that God knew that we are sinful, broken people, and he made a way for that brokenness to be healed. He made a way for that relationship to be made right. He made a way for that sin to be overcome. Just like Psalm 19.12 says, the psalmist is crying out for someone to declare him innocent, and through the blood of Jesus and by the Spirit of our Heavenly Father, God can look to you and say, I declare you innocent of all of these transgressions. All the wrong you've done can be forgiven. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that's what Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and that's why we can be forgiven. He died on the cross because he took the punishment and the penalty for your sin and mine. He rose from the dead because he was God, and he did everything he was supposed to do to prove that he was God. And now he says simply, if you'll just believe, if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be declared innocent before him. Your sin will be forgiven and you'll come into a right relationship with God. That's the story. That's the story that's in this book. It starts and ends with the love of God for his people. It starts and ends with the love of God for you. Will you surrender to that today?